welcome back. February 10th, it's a Friday. About like three o'clock, give or take where I am. So yeah, uh, I'm still undecided on this YouTube thing as you can tell. Most of you are listening to this on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I don't expect YouTube viewers yet until I decide if I'm going to do it or not. Then I got to mass upload all the episodes with recordings or not. Um, yeah, so we're back. I said it's February the 10th. There's a lot to go through. And... When I say there's a lot, um, yeah, I didn't include any of the forums questions today because I don't want to have this episode be like forever. I would love for it to be a longer episode. I'm just going to minimize this tab. That just follows if I can do it. Okay. Well, in the meantime, I can at least see the recording time. And, yeah. So, I'm just going to, like, this. Okay. Perfect. Anyway, here we are. Um, there's been a lot going on. We're approaching closer to the trade deadline. I think we're getting on 20 days before. We've had another trade. I'll get into that sometime throughout the episode. It's the Vladimir Tarasenko trade. Uh, we're not going to go too in-depth with it today. I said in the last goal bone of things that we we're going to focus on All-Star Game. And I'm going to save that for one of the roundtable discussions that we have on the podcast. Because I think with the guest bouncing ideas on and off of each other is probably what we should be doing not focusing on little things like is this fully something that we're going to look at anyways or not fully something that we're going to look at or is this something that I can do by myself so yeah uh, let's just get right into the player signings and first off we have the Washington Capitals signing forwards Dylan Strome to a five-year, $5 million annual al- annual average value contract and Sonny Milano to a three-year, $1.9 million average annual value contract. I'm going to fact check that. I might have just had fat thumbs there. I think that might actually be a two-year. Nope, it's a three-year. My bad. <laughs> I'm just going to trust myself. So, um, just some notes that I have. Strom has split eight seasons between Arizona. He spent three seasons there. Chicago is where he spent four seasons. And then he's currently in Washington, obviously. He played a total of 325 games. He has 78 goals, 128 assists, 206 total points. He has a career plus minus of negative 37. And has 102 penalty minutes at the time of recording. 
That's obviously with all these players at the time of recording. And for Sonny Milano, he has split eight seasons between Columbus, where he spent five. Season five, he was traded over to Anaheim. He spent three seasons there. And then now he's in uh, Washington. Milano has played 237 games. He has 44 goals, 59 assists, 103 total points. He's a career plus minus of negative 28, and he has 56 penalty minutes total. These are two really good signings, um, either depth or just for rebuilding. You're not going to get you're not going to get good value like that out of players. So, my total thoughts on the Strom signing, I think it's a little bit over in terms of like where he's at. He's not a point-per-game guy, because if he was a point-per-game guy, he'd be making six, seven million. He's not under the mark, but he's not at that mark. So I think this is going to be a contract that we're going to look at and say, okay, he's having a good year this year. He's had a couple good years. And he's going to prog progressively trend upwards. I think that's how they're looking at Dylan Strom here. We're going to give him more now for him to do better later. Whereas Milano, he was let go by the Ducks. Nobody was signing him. Then Calgary, I think it was Calgary that signed him to a PTO. Professional tryout. For those of you who don't watch hockey often, a PTO is a professional tryout. Um, yeah, so he was signed to a PTO. And then he was released from it. And like, what are you doing? This guy's a decent hockey player. Then Washington picked him up. And he's been doing really well for himself in Chicago. Or Chicago? Washington. My bad. He's been doing really well for himself in Washington so far. Um, yeah. The Buffalo Sabres, they signed Dylan Cousins to the same deal that Tage Thompson will be on next year. Meaning, your forward core... You're, you're paying them less than $15 million total for seven years. Uh, the Sabres signed Dil forward Dylan Cousins to a seven-year, $7.1 million average annual value contract. I have to say that slow because I know I'm going to get tripped up over my tongue. It's an absolute bargain of a contract. Like, Thompson's having a massive year. Cousins is starting to get really good. Your one-two punch is making good money. But they're also on good deals. Because you're going to set yourself up to sign guys in the offseason. Or draft guys, develop them, and pay them later. The structure is working well. Buffalo's... Ah. Yeah, it was a hockey guy on YouTube. I was watching a video last night. And he's breaking down how they did their rebuild went until they went and won three Stanley Cups. How they drafted, how they signed in the offseason, and then the deals that they signed these guys to. And it's incredible to see that they got bargain contracts, but they also had players around them. And the way Buffalo is building, like, yeah, sure, having a first, second, fifth, seventh overall pick 
continuously is nice, but you're also going to have to build that depth. So that's what Buffalo is doing. They're doing it well. They're signing good contracts, and yeah, their top six is going to be incredible because you can build around these guys. Uh, Cousins was drafted by Buffalo seventh overall in 2019. Since his arrival to the Sabres organization, Cousins, uh, Cousins has played 169 games, putting up 34 goals, 60 assists, 94 total points. He's got a career plus minus of negative 31 and 95 PIMS total, penalty minutes, PIMS. Um, you might look at his point count and say, oh, he's only got 94 points. Why are we paying him this much? Well, all things considering, He's playing really well. Teams might sign a guy to a $7 million contract simply because he's good in other aspects. That doesn't mean he's putting up points all the time. Jeff Skinner was a tire fire of a contract. He's playing to that mark when he wants to. But I'm not in the NHL. I can't fully judge these guys. But I can sit on my couch and complain about it. I think that's where we're going to be at for the mark. Um, I think this is going to be a contract that's going to look good in the future. It's like Kucherov when he got his bridge deal of under $5 million And he just decided, you know what? The last year I'm going to put up 128 points for $4.7 million. He got his $9.5 million contract eventually, but... Um, continuing with signings, the Toronto Maple Leafs signed defenseman Connor Timmins to a two-year, $1.1 million average annual value contract. Timmins has split 59 games between four seasons, two in Colorado, uh, two in Arizona, and then he was traded this year to Toronto. He's, yeah, in this 59-game span, he has one goal, 18 assists, He's got a career plus minus of zero and 10 total penalty minutes. I just want to point out that the interesting part of this, before joining Toronto, his Timmins career high was seven assists slash points in his 31 games he played with Colorado in the 2020-2021 season. And up until this point, I don't know if he's in tonight or not. Toronto plays tonight for the first time since the All-Star break. Um, but since joining Toronto, uh, Timmins has played 18 games in which he has one goal and 11 assists. This could look like either a, a contract you move next year or the year after, or it's a complete bargain because the next guy that we have is the Montreal Canadiens signing their defenseman, Jordan Harris, to a two-year one point. Uh, 1.4 million dollar average annual value contract i'm gonna get sick of saying that but that is the last time i'm gonna say that i think oh, one more actually after this harris has split 57 games between two seasons with the canadians since he's been drafted um, i didn't make note of when he was drafted unfortunately and that time he scored two goals 10 assists for 12 points has a career plus minus of negative three and yeah sorry 
Important emails. I important text messages. I'm so sorry. Wow. Yeah. So he's got a total of 26 penalty minutes in his time in Montreal. I honestly think Montreal's looking at what the Leafs signed uh, Connor Timmins to. And they might have looked at Jordan Harris and said, okay, we can give you a bit more because we have a bit more flexibility next year, but you can also come up and play in a lesser role or more of a role for this amount and whatnot. I don't, I'm not an agent. Like, I don't know the whole side of things. I don't know if Timmins was actually comparable. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so getting back to the Bo Horvat trade. We all know that not too long ago he was involved in a trade between the Islanders and the Canucks for, for a refresher. For a refresher that he was traded to the Islanders and the Canucks retained 25% of his salary okay. and the Canucks what they received was Anthony Beauvillier Aturati I think is how you say that I don't know how you pronounce uh, you know what I'm gonna mute this because this is distracting and I'll respond to it when I'm off I can't keep getting distracted that's too much in one go for my liking um, the Canucks they got Beauvillier Aturati is I, th I think he, how you say it or Aturati it's one of the two or it's something else and they also received a top 12 protected 2023 first round pick. What they do with tier two picks, either you trade for guys now or you draft and you develop, which, you know, the Canucks have a hard time doing sometimes. A few days after the trade, the Islanders would announce that they had signed Bo Horvat to an eight year contract extension carrying an average annual value of $8.5 million per season. Lou Lamorello, their, uh, their general manager, he's ancient, we know that. He would go on to say that the contract is too long and too much money. The funny thing is, like, either he's being pressed to sign the contract, or... He just, ha his hand was just like, you know what? We want to keep the guy instead of having him walk. Here's what he's going to take. But this is too long and too much money for my liking. Uh, 
yeah. Um, just continuing Canucks news. Uh, there might be a few things that actually happen, like a couple of trades that go down in the next few days. And that involves the Canucks. The first one being Brock Besser. Uh, I think I talked about this in the previous episode. I'm not quite sure. But, oh, yes, I did. Um, it's likely a second and a low-tier prospect or a third and a reasonable prospect for a return. The teams that are most likely to get this or get Besser are Buffalo, Boston, New Jersey, and the Rangers. The Jets are poking around, but the their targets, they have their targets. They got the guys that they want, but they also have other guys that they would like to also bring in. At the like at the time that I'm recording this, the Sabers are the favorite to get Brock Besser because they have what can the Canucks want, and the Sabers are a good young team. They could fit them in. Uh, the second being Quinn Hughes. This is new in terms of what we've been hearing the last few weeks. But it's also not new in terms of we know eventually Quinn Hughes is going to go play with his brothers in New Jersey. And it's this is obviously a deal that only New Jersey is realistically attempting to make. It's just you're opening a huge marketing door by acquiring Quinn because you already have Jack and Luke. You're going to probably be giving up two firsts and a D-level prospect for a first, an NHL-ready player, and a good prospect. I was having a good conversation with some people over the phone, over text, and just even in person here. And the consensus seems to be that realistically, you're going to be looking at your 2023 first-round pick, maybe Alex Foltz, Probably another AHL prospect that you have. Like, that's just a realistic thing of what we're looking at. Uh, Quinn Hughes going to New Jersey at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah, I gotta respond to this one. And speaking of the Winnipeg Jets, I was just talking about they have their guys that they want. And I'm going to pull up my Twitter, actually, since we're in the middle of this. Nothing coming at me recently. Surprisingly. And there's a writer for the hockey writers, it's a thing where a lot of guys get started or they go as a place just to write for fun. Because I'm somebody who likes to write and podcast hockey for fun. Um, this guy writes that the Jets do not have any one untouchable prospect or pick when making a deal for Timo Meyer. He goes on to write that Rutger McGlurkey, Chaz Lucius, Brad Lambert, Vinny Hainala, and your first round pick should all be on the table when making a trade. The writer later 
He later writes that you draft players hoping one day that they become a top line player. Timo Meyer is that top line player and is an RFA. The thing about this, the one thing I don't like about this is a lot of guys like if the Jets are in a win now situation if they are seriously looking at this and going I need this guy to come in to push us over the edge then yeah you give up one of your top guys or you give up your the mood for it but Timo Meyer is likely going to control where he goes and cap friendly is good for stuff like this um, like he's got no he's ultimately got no uh like trade clause or anything but the thing is He's got that qualifying offer of 10 million. Not a lot of teams can fit in a one by 10. He's proven to be a top line guy. You know the ceiling, you know what to expect when you're bringing him in. McGorty, Lambert, Leeches, they're in the system. We don't know what they're gonna bring to the organization. We don't know if they're gonna be incredible, all three of them, and be the guys that we build a franchise around once guys like Shifley, Connor, Wheeler, Morrissey, Hellebuck, when they retire, when our current core is retired, even Ehlers. Look at it as a way of look at look at look at it as a way of like, hey. Like we realistically need to we need to build now because we are in a spot as a team where we're doing good. We're at the point where like we're missing the playoffs is not in the question at the moment. You want to know what is uh, out of the question or up in air? What our future looks like because yes, we got Cole Perfetti. Yes. We have Pierre-Luc Dubois right now, but we don't know in the offseason if we're going to be shipping him off. And if we ship him off, bring in Meyer. To, or ship him off and ask for young guys who are on either good deals for now, for three, four more years, or just get what you need. Like, get a haul. But just with the trade deadline, I don't see... Timo Meyer going for a lot. The market demands differently, and I wrote this earlier. I can see guys like Hanala, Stanley, uh, Harkins, unfortunately, guys who are playing in the system pretty consistently that San Jose can take a look at. You're not trading three of your top prospects, let alone one of them. Like, if it's McGrory in a first, or Lambert in a first, or Lucius in a first, it's a hard pill to swallow, but you're bringing in a guy who's proven to be good. But the thing is, other teams are going to outbid you. 
It's a buyer's market for a reason. One or two of these three guys, Regority, Lambert, or Lucius, has to be untouchable. Simply because with the way that salary cap is looking, you need to bring in these big guys on entry levels. Because uh, Bettman and his little pocket crew, his little whatever they, whatever you want to call them, their little clown car of individuals, they just, they, they said the cap is going to increase because escrow is close to being uh, paid off. And then we have this great thing called escrow. It's still a big thing. The cap is going to be lucky to go up more than one million million next offseason. You can't afford to start bringing in guys on a $10 million contract. I got a reply to my comment. And it's just like, the Sharks should take a mediocre prospect as a centerpiece of a package for a bona fide star winger. Get out of here. And my response to that was, look at the Tarasenko trade. Your view of trades are severely overvalued, and you're getting an NHL guy. Yes, you're getting a first-line guy. The thing is, it's going to be salary cap implications that all these teams are going to be looking at. It's going to ultimately come down dollar to dollar. Because every most, I I think I went over uh, over this in my first episode, but you have most of these teams. Even Detroit is within oh, seven million of the cap, which is you still got some flexibility. But like, come on, you only have three teams that are not at that seventy million dollar projected cap hit. There was a few years ago where all these teams are nowhere near the cap. Like only the top spenders are your contenders. San Jose is a bottom team. Florida is likely to miss the playoffs and they're using LTIR space. Washington, Edmonton, Montreal. Three teams that are suffering in mediocrity, but they're still they have their way of building. Edmonton they they should be in a playoff spot. Washington, they're focusing on Ovechkin and his goal scoring record. They're going to help him with that. They got their cup. Montreal, you are second second to the top for projected cap hit. Just under Vegas. Uh, Columbus is another team. Philadelphia is another team that's high up on this uh, list. Like, something has to break here. And all of these trades that, oh, it's going to be Matthew Nyes and a first-round pick for Toronto to even uh, get considered to pick this guy up. But, like, unless the guy is, like, stellar, this isn't going to be some OHL-WHL trade. That's simply put.
fast get the call. <clears throat> oh, how do you get? I'm not gonna get fired up about it. There's no point of it. Why do people need me right now? <laughs> Uh, so the caps problem, which is going to affect how trades are made, you're going to be giving guys dollar for dollar to make sure the trade is fair, it's even. Right. Anyways, um, yesterday the Toronto Maple Leafs general manager Kyle Dubas provided an update on his players and the state of the team as it stands as of right now. Um, Dubas said the plan is to improve forward and defense at the deadline. Like he's said, he's fine with his goalies, which is nice because you got Joseph Wool, Eric Shelgren, Matt Murray, and Ilya Samsonov. Murray, when he comes back, he's probably going to be like, I got to fight for my spot. Simply put, because if Joseph Wool comes up and he has incredible games, which is likely considering the defense Toronto has built. And the team that they have. I really hope Toronto has three goaltenders that they can look and say, "Okay, what like what do we do here? Like, what's the realistic setting?" Uh, Dubis said he wants to see what the Marlies call-ups can bring to the bottom six. Alex Steves being the most recent player to earn a shot. Dubis wants to, he wants to do this before he looks to the outside for help. Meaning, maybe if they sign Matt Nyes by the deadline, hey, <laughs> like, or if they, if they sign Matt Nyes when they're able to, when he's done his college season, maybe that's the missing piece they need. Um, Murray is out a couple of weeks with an ankle injury, according to Dubis. Not surprised. It sucks for me because on fantasy I just traded for him. Unfortunately, I had him at the start. He went on to LTIR. I dropped him. Then I had to retrade for him. Um, Jake Muzzin is still awaiting his next appointment with a specialist later this month. There's no news on Muzzin's status at this time. I'm not sponsored by Coke. I'm just drinking it. Um, the big question about this all, would Dubis be willing to trade his first round pick and or Matthew Nyes? His response to this question was, in regards to rentals, I can't see that happening. But with regards to other options, I don't think you say no off the hop to anything. But those are very important pieces to us. Yeah, and that's fair. You got to look at it and say, okay, realistically, what are we doing here? And how is this going to affect us in the long run? They have pieces that they want. Dubas last year was hell-bent on keeping his first round pick. And then this year, or uh, yeah, in the offseason, to get rid of Peter Mrazek, he had to trade his first round pick. 
It sucks we lost the first, but he needed a dumb cap. Not everything is going to work. I, I, I seriously cannot wait to see what the Leafs do and how they perform this offseason. I have a soft spot for the Leafs. Family has, my family is Leafs fans. I cheer for them too, as a Bruins fan. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Um, anyways, some I only have one game notes. I'm going to put some game notes uh, into the podcast now because I feel it's actually important to have these in. Um, Vegas Golden Knights goaltender Logan Thompson leaves last night's game versus the Minnesota Wild with what appeared to be a, an injury to his left leg. This isn't good because he's one of the front runners for the Calder. One of the options that you can realistically uh, say, like, hey, this is a guy I would actually trade for. Um, like Vegas already has I think two goaltenders in LTIR I don't know why I keep closing cap friendly because I know I'm going to have to refer to it again we're also at the 30 minute mark and we're only halfway through all the notes I knew this episode I knew this episode was going to be forever just from the amount of notes yeah like you have Aiden Hill Logan Thompson's going to go on to IR, hopefully not LTIR, because you already have Robin Leonard on LTIR, and you have Laurent, Laurent Brassois playing in the minors. He, he's been buried in there. So you might actually have to bring Brassois up to come play. So I don't know why they're actually not moving a goaltender or trading for one. Like, not a knee-jerk reaction trade, but logistically it makes sense to make a trade for a goaltender at some point for Vegas. Because you don't know if Murray's going to play again and whatnot. So, anyways, let's get into some WTF moments. We have three of them. The first two are a little more edgy than the last one. The last one, it's going to be a f more fun one. Yeah. Dallas Stars fan at a Minnesota Wild and Dallas Stars game. This guy's got like the greasiest great value ripoff of a Joe Dirt mullet you'll ever see. He was caught on video stirring some controversy with another fan. We don't know if it's a Stars fan, a Wild fan. This guy was picking a fight. He's pointing at the floor like, if we start YouTube, I'm actually going to get clips up and whatnot just so we can like react to it and stuff like that. Like, slowly working on everything. But he was picking a fight and just saying to the guy, like, yeah, like, come here and whatnot. Like, we can fight. Whatever he was saying. I didn't, you couldn't fully hear it. The one thing you could hear is the racial, uh, racial slur that he did use. He got absolutely rocked. Oh, man. But the thing is, the guy, like, didn't throw a fast punch. He was a bigger guy, but still, he just rocked this kid. And kudos to him. He ate that punch. The cherry on top, when this was a Stars fan, 
his girlfriend was jumping in and fighting the other guy. But he's standing above these two. So this girl just got pulled back uh, by another fan while this guy is getting beat up. And he gets, like, the best part of the entire video is not the two dudes in the back with beers in their hands and hands in their pockets. Like, there was four or five dudes in the video, but there's, oh, man, it was comical. It was right after the fan that this guy, he was taken to the ground. The dude who rocked him starts calling him little boy. And this starts, the Stars fan starts playing victim. He starts saying things like, oh, nah, hell nah, F that. I ain't done nothing. He hit me first. And if you get, if you want or find any uh, clips on it on YouTube, you can go to Bar, uh, Barstool Sports. They have this clip. But right before the video that where he gets rocked and all the stuff, courtesy of Barstool Sports, this dude was filmed by cameras right before they cut to the commercial. Like this, the area where you can see uh, fans walking in the concessions area and whatnot. Or even before the game. I don't know when this was. But like, he takes his hood down, he starts shaking his mullet, and he gives a greasy little look to the camera. And it's just like, bro, what are you doing? Uh, the whole incident, um, it's not something you want on your team. Nor is it something you want in the news, really. Um, I'm sure the Dallas Stars would have taken care of this or made a statement. Like, I didn't take a look. I didn't dive that far into it. It's just one of those situations you see in hockey. It's just like, oh, man. Another uh, moment number two. Nashville's Predators prospect Zachary LaRue. That situation just goes from bad to worse. Oh, man. So... If you haven't heard about this, it's a situation where Zachary LaRue was coming off the ice after a loss to Gatineau, I think they were playing, and he gets into it with fans, and he supposedly spears a fan through the little glass area, um, like the little area that is like with the, uh, with the glass for the fans for as he's coming off. He managed to get his stick through that gap of the glass and spear a fan. The QMJHL comes out and denies these claims and said there is no video, uh, like there's no footage of this. And well, now there is. This puts the QMJHL in a tough position. And... I was watching a little bit of stuff before I did some recording and the hockey guy, his video comes up. He, he's talking a little more in depth about this. He's got notes about it when he's drafted, which I did put in this. And he notes that Zach Zachary LaRue has been suspended eight times in 27 months. Just a little over two years. He's been suspended eight times and three of the suspensions are for high sticking. LaRue was drafted in the first round in the 2021 NHL entry draft at 27th overall by the National Predators. But, like, is LaRue's suspension history in this incident jeopardizing his possibility of making the NHL? Like, 
you don't want guys hurting each other or a known guy hurting your guys in the NHL. And, man. And finally, the third one that we have is a hockey game in Germany had a goalie score a goal in the game. It's not even the craziest part of the, uh, this situation. is the fact that the opposing goaltender was in net when this happened. He turns around for water during the play. This goalie on the other end of the ice sees that, fires it down. And he scores. And, oh. Already. Like, I never thought I'd see the day where a goalie would score on, on another goalie. But here we are. Um, yeah. So, finally, we're going to talk about the Vladimir Tarasenko trade and some more Patrick Kane stuff. So, yesterday, roughly around. 1 or 2 p.m. Or 2 or 3, something like that. Vladimir Tra uh, Tarasenko was traded to the New York Rangers with defenseman Nico Mikola. Or Nikola from the St. Louis Blues. And St. Louis only got Sammy Blay, Hunter Skinner, defenseman, uh, prospect, a conditional first round pick for 2023, and a conditional 2024 fourth round pick. These conditions are, for the first, is because the Rangers had a first-round pick from Dallas that they traded Nils Lundqvist for. I think is how you say it. Lundqvist. Anyways. Or Lundqvist. Anyways. They had two first-round picks. The conditions on the first is they will trade the pick that will be the later of the Rangers' 2023 and Dallas's 2023 first. Meaning if da Dallas goes and wins the cup, St. Louis only gets a 32nd overall pick, which is good for a draft like this year. But also, <laughs> the throwaway of a condition at this point. Just give them a, a first. But anyways, for the fourth round pick, the conditions are if the Rangers make the playoffs this year in 2023, the fourth round pick becomes a third round pick. So basically, the Blues get a first and a third in this trade. Pardon me. Ryan Mead on Twitter. I just saw this not too long ago, so I quickly put it in. He pointed out that the Rangers uh, GM, Chris Drury, he you get the best case scenario in this trade being... You acquire a solid forward and a rugged defenseman in Tarasenko and Mikola. You manage to get 50% salary retention on Tarasenko. Oh. You traded Sammy Blay, who did virtually nothing for the Rangers. And you trade him back to the team you traded him, or you traded for him. You keep your top prospects within your prospect pool. You keep the better of the first round picks. And you waive Libor Hajek. And then he clears. And. As much as I was expecting a big trade. 
I think this is something that is a little eye-opening to a lot of people. This is eye-opening to a lot of people because value is dollar for dollar now. Because I think the Rangers only took, yeah, they only took $4.125 million in cap in this trade. Where the Blues, uh, the Blues uh, freed up $4.125 million. Tarasenko is making seven point five million right now. Yeah, seven five. He's on the last year of that eight year deal. Wow. And uh, when Pierre Lebrun was tweeting yesterday that this is going to be a trade that's gonna have a prospect, multiple picks, and an NHL player. I'm looking at the Rangers thing and I'm like, okay. Like one of the either Cackle or Lafreniere has to be in this trade or even Kratzov. Like how did they pull this off where they didn't give any of their top prospects away? I think it was just a best case scenario for Tarasenko because he has that no move that I think he only leaves for certain teams. And finally, the Patrick Kane saga. Um, Eklund of the Hockey Buzz website gave a little bit of a tip that um, that the Patrick Kane saga might be coming to an end. Eklund points out that Kane has had it, uh, hip issues this year. And it's a cu uh, curious thought. You have to wonder if Patrick Kane will hang up the skates for the remainder of the regular season just to get surgery. He says there's a good chance it happens. And if that's the case, Kane will be one of the biggest names on the free agent market for this upcoming offseason. He says more to come. Always says this. My question to myself is, with teams being hesitant to trade for Kane because of the hip injuries, are you going to turn to guys like O'Reilly or Meyer in this case? O'Reilly's got an injury uh, history himself. I'm not quite sure on Meyer. But the thing is, I think this is a situation where teams are, or reporters are blowing something out of proportion. Patrick Kane admitted disappointment in the Rangers adding Tarasenko, and then he claims his hip injury is blown out of proportion, which it fully might be, but we don't know. That is a question for another time, and that is all I got for today. So thank you. Uh, share with your friends. Share this just on social media. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Have a good day.